0: Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true, is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. about to hear. Uh, We know these words have been prepared uh, and uh, we hope that they uh, will teach us something new today, Um, maybe teach us something we uh, have forgotten even. Uh, Lord, these words that come out of Rob's mouth, uh, we pray that they are the words you have for us today. Uh, Give him the strength and the spirit to uh, push on. Uh, It um, isn't easy giving a sermon, I'm sure. Uh, so Lord be with us uh, as the congregation uh, listens and learns today uh, and uh, yeah help us to stay alert and concentrate throughout the whole thing. Mm. Thank you Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue studying the beatitudes of Revelation. We started them uh, last time and uh, I sort of only got a few in and the time was up so I had to stop. So what I'm going to do is quickly sort of rehash over the beatitudes we've already looked at and then continue from there. And I just want to, when I say beatitudes, some people pronounce it beatitudes, which is probably the correct way. The term beatitude comes from the Latin noun beatitudo, which means happiness. They echo the highest ideals of the teachings of Jesus on mercy, spirituality, and compassion. Thanks for that, Wikipedia. I can trust that explanation, I think. Uh, Each beatitude is an almost direct contradiction of society's typical way of life. As we go through them, you're going to see that nearly all the Beatitudes are just opposite to what you expect Jesus to say, uh, as in how we would be blessed. The best example of each trait is found in Jesus himself. If our goal is to become like Jesus, the Beatitudes will challenge the way we live each day. And that was a quote from the New Living Application Bible highly recommend that application bible it's got some brilliant you've got it haven't you Anthony it's a yeah yeah Life. that's the one there and it's (laughs) the one in your hand yeah (laughs) yeah so the seven beatitudes of revelation let's go and have a quick look because we're in revelation 1 3 i haven't got very far we're at the part four and we're still at revelation 1 3. now Make sure you all open your Bibles. We're going to cruise through quite a few scriptures today, and I want you to be able to see them as we read them. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Blessed is those that hear the word, And when we, as we, if you remember, when we studied that word that uh, in Greek for "hear," it also means blessed are those who study it, look into it, you know, dig deep into the meanings behind it. Blessed are those kinds of people. It's not just the skim reading that Jesus is talking about here. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Or may it transform us, may it affect us and change how we live our Christian life. They're the ones that are blessed. And how are we blessed? By what it does to us, by how it affects us, by how it transforms us into the Christians that we're meant to be. Then he says this, because the time is near, because the time of the end is near. That's 2,000 years ago. I've said this many times. 2,000 years ago, they said the time is near. How much nearer is it now? Now, we won't take preterist view on this a preterist believes it's already taken place so when they said the time is near they tried to tell you that the book of revelation was written pre-ad 70 when when uh the temple was destroyed by emperor nero they try to tell you a preterist will try to teach you that the book of revelation was fulfilled in in and or ad 70 and that this time is near reference that now, there's plenty of evidence that the book of Revelation was written in A.D. 90-something, A.D. 90, maybe A.D. 95, 25 years later. So how could it have been fulfilled 25 years earlier? Why write it if it's already happened? I, I take a futurist approach that it's still yet to take place. And there's present application in the book of Revelation, like when we look at the churches, the seven churches, it have many present applications, but much of it also is to be fulfilled in times ahead now let's look at luke eleven twenty-seven. as jesus was saying these things a woman in the crowd called out her own beatitude blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you yeah i'd accept that mary was the most blessed of women that's a bit of a prophetic statement by the woman in the crowd such an impacting statement that it was written down in the bible I'm sure there was thousands of people yelling things out from the crowd, but that woman's statement landed in the Bible. How blessed is that? We don't know who she was, but isn't that awesome? She, she spoke a beatitude, and Jesus said, I like that beatitude, put it in the Bible. Now, I've lost my place. 11.27. And then what did Jesus say? Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the Word and not just hear it, obey it. Obedience is a very important part to the blessing. Obedience is key. Actually, I'm going to show you how much of a key it is. So it is one thing to hear the Word of Scripture and believe it. It is another thing to heed it and act on it many christians hear the word of god preached every sunday but there's a different kind of christian that believes and heeds and walks in it usually you hear about those christians in history they usually write books about those christians heaven writes books about those christians keeps account of just how what kind of a christian that person was because that christian dared to not just believe but dared to heed and walk it out they're the kinds of christians this church has got to be we've got to be genuine true to the word christians living it out so when people meet you they go that man's a christian that woman's a christian amen it's evidence there's evidence in that person's life Let's have a look at Matthew seven twenty one. Now, because Luke eleven twenty seven to 28 said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Why are they blessed if they obey it? Let's go, Matthew seven twenty one. Verse 21, and it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So only he who obeys, only he who does the will, will be blessed with eternal life. Now, we can water that Scripture down. Actually, you know what a lot of churches do? They ignore that Scripture altogether. You know what I always come back to? It? It's because this Scripture is giving us insight into something Jesus is going to say on Judgment Day. He's going to say this on Judgment Day. And he's going to not just say it to a few people. He says that many, many people he's going to have to say this to. He's going to have to say it to many Christians. Only those who do the will of the Father can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So all of you Christians that walked and did your own thing and ignored my word, ignored my commands, ignored my great commission live for self, denied the words of Scripture that spoke to the contrary of all of the behaviors that you've lived in, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm bringing this up because I tell you what, it's desperately needed to, needed to be heard by Christians. I've never seen, well, I'm only, I'm only young, 46, but in my 46 years, and from all my research, uh, for many, many centuries, the truth of this doctrine was taught. But in, in recent times, especially the last hundred years, in, especially in my days, it got, it, it got less and less and less to the point that they don't preach that anymore. They make the message of salvation easy. Now, I keep on going over this ground, don't I? Do I keep on talking about this? Well, if you ever get to heaven and get rejected, you can't say, well, Rob didn't tell me. You can say, well, Rob told me every weekend or every second weekend. He kept going over it. Why? Because it's the most important thing you can actually understand in your Christianity. It's the most important thing that a Christian can take to heart. Because if you lose salvation... You know, everything else is amiss, isn't it? All of everything else I teach means nothing. Because if you lose your salvation, that's it. And ministers, I'll get ministers all over the planet telling me, oh, you can't lose your salvation. Oh, man, don't you read the Scriptures? Don't you read the ifs in Scripture? You know, so we, we, we really got to get tr- transformed. And I'm g- this, these Beatitudes tell us exactly the kinds of Christians we have to be to live out our Christian life properly. Let's look a bit further. Revelation fourteen 13. We'll just quickly read the, the Beatitude. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, "Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. All right? Now, this is a beatitude where from that point onwards, whoever dies in the Lord will be blessed. Why? Because they're going to be martyred. They're living in the great tribulation. This scripture is referencing those in the great tribulation, in the time of trouble and hardship. And I will we'll go back so you can see it. Let's go back to verse 6. And it says Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So let's picture that. A giant angel of God is flying over the earth, declaring God, declaring Jesus as Lord, and they're telling the inhabitants of the earth to worship Him. Now, if you're on earth, and you see an angel declaring the gospel, how could you not repent? (laughs) But it tells us that they'll harden their hearts even then. And why? I believe it's this. Because there is that many miraculous things taking place. They've seen the beast. They're seeing you know, flying saucers flying around. They're seeing Nephilim. They're seeing giants. They've seen um, all kinds of apparitions on a regular basis. So suddenly an angel of God is flying over. They'll go, hang on, you're, you're one of the bad guys. And you're declaring the gospel. Let's catch that angel and kill him. That will that's, be the attitude of that, of that time, paranormal activity on the earth. That's why they won't repent, because in the book of Revelation, it clearly says, that, the, and still they don't repent. And then a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Talking about a city that the Bible calls Babylon, Mystery Babylon. I want John to do a, a five-minute message about that subject because he talks about it and with me often, and he's got some quite fascinating takes on it, so I'd love him to talk about Babylon for us soon, if you can, John. And a third angel followed them, and he said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead. If you don't know what, where this is related to, it's Revelation 13, talking about every you know, people, tribe, language, and nation receiving a mark on the, wrist of the forehead, on the wrist or the forehead. And if you don't get that mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. So what does that mean? If you don't get that mark, you're going to starve. You're going to have no money to pay your bills, you'll be homeless, and you're going to starve. That's the facts, Jack. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the toss-up. Take the mark and keep eating and keep drinking and stay in your home and keep trading and doing doing business. Or reject the mark and be prepared to die of starvation unless the Lord has other plans in mind for you. That's what it comes down to. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand... He, too, will drink the wine of the wine of God's fury. Okay, I'd rather die of starvation than drink the wine of God's fury any day. Because God's fury is eternal, uh, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of His wrath. And that's the, the seven bowls of God's judgment. And He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. So he'll be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And the smoke of their torment rises for how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. There is no rest day or night. They don't even get a five-minute timeout. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. Don't take the mark, guys. It's better to die of starvation and go straight to be with the Lord than to be eternally burning forever and ever and ever where there is never to be a break, not even for a moment, not for a single moment. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance, patient endurance. We've got to endure this patiently, saints. That time comes, endure it patiently. We don't know when it's going to happen. Don't know the exact hour when this will be implemented, but all we know is the technology is available. You know, when the technology is available, it's available for a reason. You know, they don't make the technology and then don't do anything with it for the next 200 years. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And this is where the beatitude comes in. This is a beatitude for the believers, guys. This proves that there's saints, and not just, they call them tribulation saints. Sure, they're tribulation saints because they're in the tribulation. It says nowhere they get converted in it. It just says that they're there. Actually, there's no scripture where it says that the, the church is removed before that time. Joe Schimmel's got a $10,000 reward for anyone who can come up with one single scripture that specifically states that the rapture occurs before the tribulation. And no one can claim it because there is no scripture. Even Colin Lanuri and Wolf, um, Mark Warford, what's his name? can't remember his first name. Mark Warford? No. Um, even they admitted there is not a single scripture that states a pre-tribulation rapture. And these are pre-trib leaders. They know they don't have a scripture. Why do they preach it? Because they get comfort in their deception. It makes them feel comfortable. They try to, you know, use all these other, you know, scriptures and, and you get, pull them together and it sort of speaks sort of like it could be you know but it's not because it, every context of a, a rapture is always in a post setting it's always post it's always after these times and here we see this calls for patience in, patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful and then i heard a voice from heaven say right blessed are the dead who die in the lord for now on, from now on yes says the spirit they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Isn't it amazing? Their deeds will follow them because they stayed faithful in the worst time in history. Matthew Henry wrote, the believer is to venture or, venture or suffer anything in obeying the commandments of God and professing faith uh, in Jesus. May God bestow this patience upon us. Observe the description of those that are and, that are and shall be blessed, such as die in the Lord. Die in the cause of Christ, in a state of union with Christ, such as are found in Christ when death comes. That's those that are blessed, those that hold to the faith. Revelation sixteen fifteen. just Sonia, a tiny bit forward. This is the next beatitude. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. So if we stay awake, guys, if we keep our minds on this stuff, if we don't stop believing what we what we read in the Scriptures, if we take the hard truths and apply them into our life, if we follow the Bible as closely as we possibly can, it says, Blessed is he who stays awake because we'll be awake, we'll be considered awake, and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go shameful, naked and shamefully exposed. The clothing bit I'm going to talk about in a second. I won't go there now. Now, I want you to quickly look back to verse 12 uh, in that same chapter, and it says, "...the sixth angel poured out his bowl." This is the sixth angel, and I've said this in other sermons, the sixth angel is pouring out the bowl of God's wrath, which pre-tribulationists teach is the last seven judgments." I actually teach that the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of God wrath are exactly the same thing, spoken in two different ways, because the matter's been firmly established and cannot be changed. That's how God does, speaks prophecy. And this is occurring after the sixth angel pours out his bowl. He says, Behold, I come like a thief. So Jesus hasn't come yet. There hasn't been a rapture, because the rapture occurs when Jesus comes. Amen? Does it say that there is a secret rapture, that there is a second coming and then a third coming? It doesn't say that. You have to read between the lines to invent that one. Jesus is returning once and once only. At the end of the age, he says. At the end, not prior to the end, not seven years before or three and a half years before. At the end... Obvious, isn't it? I can keep on going. There's so many scriptures I can pull up that will will, will speak of when Jesus returns. He tells us, I'm at the end. Okay, so we can't assume it's before the end. Because then he would have said, now guys, I come at seven years before the end. If he had said that, I'd go, okay. He's coming before the tribulation. But he says at the end of the age. And here, at the sixth bottle of God's wrath, he says still, he says, I come like a thief. There's the imminent return. The doctrine of imminency, the way they teach it in seminaries, is a lie. The doctrine of imminency means, guys, you're, in the, you're nearly at the end of the tribulation. Stay awake. Stay awake. Because I could just come back tomorrow and you don't want to be found wanting still be sinless, still be walking righteously, still do it the right way, still live and hold on to the faith with all your heart. Don't let go of me until I come. Because I could come at any moment, and that any moment is right at the end of the tribulation. So when we get to the end of the tribulation, don't get lax. Don't get slack in your faith. Stay strong. Intensify. Amen? Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him. Now, let's. uh, Jules' commentary wrote, "Blessed is he that watcheth against sin." We've got to watch against sin. Sin creeps up on you. Who knows that? Sin has a way of making entry into your life, and deceiving you and corrupting you. We've got to we've got to stay alert to the way sin works. Blessed is he that watcheth against sin the lusts of the flesh and the cares of this life lest they bring a, a sleepiness upon him and so the day of the Lord come upon him at an, un, at an unawares and keepeth his garments unspotted from the world and whenever, defile, and whenever defiled washes them it's an older language so it goes over the head of many of us and makes them white in the blood of the lamb see he's talking about the his garments unspotted from the world And whenever defiled, so when you get defiled, when you sin, you've corrupted the garment that Jesus has clothed you in. You've been corrupted and stained. You need to wash that garment. So we've got to make them white in the blood of the Lamb. We've got to come back before the throne. We've got to get down on our knees. We've got to repent to God and say, Cleanse me, Lord. Forgive me for corrupting this beautiful garment you've given me to wear, the garment of salvation. And so keeps them white in the blood of land, and keeps them from being stripped of them by those who would lead them into sinful ways. Don't let people strip you of your garments of salvation. Don't let people come along and deceive you and pull you into sinful activity. If a friend comes over and says, "Hey, remember the good old days? We used to have a party, man. Why don't we do it again this Saturday night?" Say, so, "No way, mate. They're the bad old days." These are the good days. They're the naughty days. They're the days I knew I was doing wrong, but I couldn't help myself because i got so much pleasure in sin. Now, whenever we sin, you know what happens to a true Christian? Within moments, we feel so bad. And that's because the Holy Spirit is doing a deep work in you. Who lead them into sinful ways. Hold fast the robe of Christ's righteousness. That's why it says you're clothed in Jesus Christ. He clothes you with himself. How dare we get sinful stains over Jesus Christ who's clothing us. And garments of salvation which are the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 19 verse 8. These are pretty powerful beatitudes, aren't they? Actually, I might just take you back to uh, verse, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and added, these are the true words of God. Are we invited? We are. You just don't want to be kicked out of the wedding. If you, if you try to get into the wedding without wedding clothes on, I'm going to read that scripture in a minute. What happens to that person who's not wearing the appropriate wedding garments? Yep, kicked out. We must make sure we are wearing the white clothes given to us by the Holy Spirit, which are the righteous acts of the saints. This will ensure we don't get thrown out of the wedding supper. Matthew 22, and it's worthy reading. Remember, our wedding clothes are the righteous acts of the saints. All right. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. That's like, uh, you know, going out to speak to Israel. The Jews rejected the Messiah, did they? Did they not? Then he sent some more servants, and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and and calf have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is the judgment. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So that man was not wearing wedding clothes, which is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 20, to 6 so back to the end of the Bible again. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient servant, a serpent who is the devil, or Satan, so the dragon is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. That was after the millennium, the thousand years of peace. He'll be set free. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast. So I want to go back on that. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. Now, who are these souls that have been beheaded because of the word of God and their testimony? They, these same people had not worshipped the beast or his image. So, obviously, that was during the tribulation, isn't it? Because that's Revelation 13. They chose not to worship the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Okay, so now we know these are people that are in the tribulation. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this is the first resurrection. I won't talk about that now. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. So, for a tribulation saint, they talk about these guys that have been beheaded And that they are blessed because they'll take part in the first resurrection. doesn't mean that people who have died prior to that point won't. But I believe it's an incentive for those of us who may have to face those kinds of trials. Do we know of people facing Christian brothers and sisters that have been facing that kind of thing of late? Yeah? Which countries? Yeah? Where are they beheading people at the moment? Yeah. So ISIS have been beheading Christians. Now, are they in the Great Tribulation at the moment? They're not, but still. Do you think God's going to honor those people that stood the test? Yeah. So the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God. So if you get your head cut off during the Tribulation, it's a promotion, guys. (laughs) You're going to be a priest of God. He's going to put you in the highest place. So all you could say is when they go to cut your head off is thank you so much man this is an honor you know have a smile on your face because here you go whoa the best way to enter heaven can't get better they will be priests of god and of christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years and for eternity as well we are called to be priests of god most high and the second death will have no power over those who are prepared to lay down their life for christ those sharing in this blessing had been beheaded for their testimony and rejected the beast and his image and not taken the mark during the great tribulation. Nearly there, guys. Revelation 22.7. 7. Revelation 22, 7, which says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words, uh, keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. So it's similar to Revelation 1:3, isn't it? Blessed is those who reads and heeds, and it's sort of saying the same thing. I'm coming soon, blessed is he who keeps the words. Keeps it, we've got to stick to it. And it's interesting that it's coming at that point because just prior to that was some pretty trying times, and we've got to keep to the faith despite all that. So we must keep the words of this prophecy. What this tells me is that we must believe and respond appropriately to what this book says and allow its words to trump our doubts. Who gets riddled with doubts? Has anyone had trouble with doubting stuff, you know? Yeah, I do. And what about the philosophies of this world? What about when they teach certain things? Do you get, does that make you doubt at times? Well, we're going to be blessed if we keep to the words of this prophecy. If people say things and it, it doesn't align with Scripture, just say, sorry, can't accept it. And if they call you narrow-minded and heap abuse on you, just accept it um, you know, gratefully, just whatever but I'm going to hold the Bible up higher than your words. So the last beatitude is Revelation 22:14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Who are these who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb? For they have the right to the tree of life and the city. So if you keep your, if you keep your robes clean, if you keep yourself from sin in every, every form, ask the Holy Spirit to help you every day. Just keep doing what Paul said, I die daily, brothers. He died daily to his own sinful self, his flesh. He died daily to it so that he could live by the Spirit on a daily basis. Here's the blessing. is Revelation twenty two fourteen, which says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life you will be able to eat from the tree of life. Who wants to eat from the tree of life here? Who likes fruit? Who likes really sweet fruit? You you, you try to imagine, uh, because nearly every account I've heard of people who leave this body said their senses increase. They become more sensitive to so many more things once they're out of this body. This body, if anything, it dulls our senses. right? So when you enter into the kingdom of heaven without this body, your senses will heighten. That means like Joe Schimmel said, I think he said, you have 3,000 taste buds in your tongue, you'll probably end up with 10,000. You know, three times the ability to taste. And then you taste that fruit with those incredible taste buds on your tongue. That's the most beautiful thing you've ever, could ever eat. And it'll make you feel like you've never felt you know, sometimes you feel a bit lousy and you pick up an apple and you just go, gee, I wish if i bite into this that it would just make me feel fantastic. And you bite into it and you go, oh, flowery. <laughs> Yuck, you know what I mean? And even the best, sweetest apple doesn't make you feel awesome. You know, if that's not downplaying the importance of well, good eating. So, you know, eat lots of good food and hopefully the accumulated whole will make you feel well and, and good. Now let's go to Revelation seven thirteen to seventeen. I felt that this scripture just aligns with the twenty two fourteen one. Then one of the one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know, and he said, These are they who have come out of the Great Tribulation. If you come out of something, it means you're in it. Yeah? So people people try to tell you, oh, there's the rapture right there. Hang on. Let's read the words carefully. Firstly, they're in the tribulation. They came out of it. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And how did they come out of them? Through death. They're the ones that had their heads chopped off. The same, referring to the same people. They made the, their robes... Um, and wash them in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple because now they're priests of God Most High. Remember the ones that were beheaded? Become priests of God's Most High and they took part in the first resurrection. And He sits on the throne, will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let's go on one more thing. Revelation, go back to twenty-two again. Revelation twenty-two, fourteen to fifteen. <clears throat> and it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have a right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Then it adds, Outside, these are those that are not welcome into the kingdom of God. Are uh, the dogs those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices false practices falsehood. Now I'm not going to go through each of those things. I'm only just going to pick on three. One is magic arts, which is pharmakeia, which is witchcraft. They they interpret it as witchcraft or magic arts, but it also is pharmaceuticals. We we get the word pharmaceuticals, which is drugs. So if you're a Christian and you're taking drugs, stop taking drugs because you won't be welcome. You'll be out, that you'll be out there with the dogs and the murderers. You won't be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not talking about going down to the chemist to get some, you know, Panadol for a headache, right? I'm talking about hallucinogenic drugs or drugs that alter your state of mind and your consciousness. Drugs that I'm, I'm sure many of us have experienced in the past, but we, we don't go there anymore, amen? Nor are the idolaters, and I can't pronounce that word, ifula, all right? idolaters is putting anything before God. You know, you can have a beautiful car in your driveway and that is your idol. You don't necessarily bow down to it, but you con- it consumes you. You live and breathe that thing. You know, many people are like that. Sports, you like that with sports. We're like that with musicians. You know, we can be like that with so many things. So the idols of our age, I think, are stronger and more consuming than ancient idols which were stone and wood, which they might bow down to for a little while and then they go out and do their business. We have idols that consume us in this modern age. Uh, lying comes from the word pseudos, and it means false religions and superstition. So, in a broad sense, whatever is not what it professes to be, perverse, impious, deceitful precepts, superstitious things. I, I did a bit of a study on superstition, and uh, you know, these are some of the superstitions. Friday the thirteenth is an unlucky day. Who's heard that? All right, is that true? Is it? No. To find a four leaf clover is to find good luck. Who's heard these? Yep. Who, who used to look for four leaf clovers? <laughs> yeah, little girls in the fields go through thousands of clovers. Got one? No, you haven't. You're tall one in half. If you walk under a ladder, you will have bad luck. Who still dodges ladders because of that superstitious belief? You know, I deliberately walk under ladders now. I just go under them. Just I can handle it. I'm, I'm all right. I'm okay. Hey? Yeah, you can't. You need a big ladder. <laughs> what about if a black cat crosses your path, you'll have bad luck? Who's heard that one? To break a mirror will bring you seven years of bad luck. Yeah? I've broken plenty of years. Uh, plenty of years, but plenty of mirrors. And uh, I don't think I've had bad luck in my life, especially in Christ. To open an umbrella in the house is to bring you bad luck. To find a horseshoe brings good luck, they teach. You know, people have them on the front of their houses. It's amazing. You can break a bad luck spell by turning seven times in a clockwise circle. Did you know that? Now, these are superstitions, and you know what? They plague Christians, You get them taught to you when you're young and you can't let go of them and God says that these things are are pseudos. Our fate is written in the stars. Yeah? Christians get up in the morning and look at their star signs. They read something that a demon put together for a column and they get impacted and affected by it. That's superstition. Those people that live like this, and I'm going to t- I have to tell you, Jesus spoke about those that are trying to get in the kingdom of heaven. He said, Lord, Lord, I did this for you, I did that for you. He says, get away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Christians sh- uh, uh, produce fruit. Christians live according to the precepts laid down in Scripture. If we're not fulfilling Scripture, we're not being the Christians we're meant to be. That God died to make us Christ died to make us godly people. He didn't die so that we could continue to live unrighteous, unholy lives. That's not what his blood's for, to keep on so we can sin and sin and sin. And, oh, yeah, God, forgive me for that because he died for that. No, Christ died once for the sins of men. We don't keep on deliberately sinning. Amen? More superstitions. Clothes worn inside out will bring good luck. <laughs> Yeah, I won't go there. Wearing your birthstone will bring you good luck, okay? If you blow out all the candles on your birthday cake with the first breath, you'll get whatever you wish for. Kiss the girl next to you. Yes, probably. (laughs) Don't know which parties you've been going to. (laughs) To have a wish come true using a wishbone. Guys, do any of you grab the wishbone and, yeah, as Christians? We've got to be above this. Because even though we think it's a, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't affect anything, do you know what? You invite spirits, you invite demons into your Christianity. And I'll tell you how well it can be done as well. Um, who... Like, I know a, a lot of Greeks, and one of the, the, the Greeks claim to be Greek Orthodox, claim to be Christian, and one thing they do regularly is they tip their coffee cup over and then they look inside it and tell people their future. So in one breath, they're declaring Jesus Christ. In the next breath, they're trying to fortune tell. Right? And, and you know what? How many people will then profess what you said was in my coffee cup happened? Right? And that person will go, oh, you know, I just made it up. They don't realize that these little things invite Satan in. And the whole of them corrupts us and corrupts who we are as Christians. And then we wonder, how come I can't be the Christian I'm meant to be? How come I fail at every step? You know, we must follow the book. We must follow the book. We must put away childish behaviors and childish superstitions and philosophies. A cricket in the house brings good luck. Crossing your fingers helps you avoid bad luck and helps you a wish comes true. Who does that? If you say something and you cross your finger. Have any of you just fallen into the habit of doing that? Yeah, because it's been, we've done it for so long. There are many types of superstitions in the world ranging from the benign, such as not walking under a ladder to the occult. He's called it benign. I wouldn't say it's that benign. I would say it's very corrupting to the core. To the occult practices of astrology, black magic, divination, voodoo, and sorcery, we should get our faith not from the objects or rituals of man-made origin, but from the one true God who gives eternal life. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's what the Word of God says, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Now, what I've, what I've talked about today, and, and the superstitious thing was just one part of many other things that I discussed, these all come together to form a lifestyle of things that we can, can do in the sense, and what I'm saying, I'm not trying to dictate to anyone what you should do. The Bible does that. We should be committed to following the scriptures and living within the parameters of the gospel. Amen? Not living in the broad parameters of the world, because the broad parameters of the world open you up to all sorts of evil. The Bible is very specific about what a Christian should and shouldn't do. Now, do we get into heaven by works? No. No we don't get in. How do we get into heaven? Through what Jesus did on the cross. Now, once we've accepted Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, what then? Do we just resume normality the way we always been? Or are are we to become new creatures? New creatures, new attitudes, putting away deceptive things to resist the sin nature until it flees from you. Resist Satan, resist the sin nature. Don't take part in it anymore. Live a righteous, holy life in Christ. That's what we're called to. You know, any lesser Christianity to that, and it's not Christianity. It's not what our forefathers believed. The first century church were impeccable in this. They wrote about it all the time. Every single book of the New Testament, uh, especially the epistles, every one of them is rebuking the church for their current sinful practices and trying to get them in line with the right practices. This is Christianity. Live a holy, righteous lifestyle. That's why um, uh, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. Produce fruit. The apostle, or no, John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does keeping with repentance mean? Not sinning. Repentance doesn't mean, sorry, God. That's not repentance. Repentance means if you're going in this direction, you turn and, yeah, you're going in the the correct direction, towards Christ. Repentance means to turn from sin and not take part in any more. And then John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with it. He doesn't say you can go back to it. Jesus died to set us free from sin. He didn't die so that we're free to sin. Amen. All right, so I'm going to pray now and we'll... Uh, have some fellowship time. Lord, thank you for this time now. Thank you for this honor and this privilege to preach to this church. And I pray the words that uh, you uh, spoke through me today will have an impact on us and cause us to uh, live a righteous Christian life in you, following you always, not veering to the right or the left, but to follow the narrow road, that narrow road that leads to life that only a few find, Your word's very clear here, Lord Jesus. That scripture sends shudders through my body as I realize that to live on the narrow road that leads to life takes a full life commitment. And you expected that of all your disciples from day one. And they lived for you and they died for you, Lord Jesus. And we are called to exactly the same, no different. Nothing's changed just because 2,000 years has gone by you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've got to live within your guidelines that laid out in Scripture. So help us to live that way, Lord. Help us to live a righteous and holy life. And Lord, I pray this for every single person here, that their hearts will be set on turning and following you in every way, and not, not walking according to the the uh, will of the world, not walking according to the lusts of the flesh and the passions of that this world uh, culturally is pressing on us all the time. Help us to get above it, Lord. Help us to become, as you class us, as overcomers. We want to be classed as overcomers, Lord. We want to enter into the kingdom of heaven and hear those wonderful words Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into my rest. So do this wonderful thing in everyone here. Keep us strong. And uh, righteous in you and walking in you always until the end of the age. We pray this in your wonderful name. Bless us now and uh, bless the fellowship time. May it be a wonderful time as we uh, speak uh, to each other and may you just really be there in our conversations and may, may that be spiritual conversations. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.